All right. Good morning again, church. <laughs> Glad you are all with us today. We are going to be in Romans chapter 9 to start. We're going to look at like three verses in 9, and then we're going to look at all of chapter 10. So we're going to be in 9.30 through 10.21 this morning as we're continuing on. And this is just, as, as we think about this, I titled it, The Intensity, Necessity, and Urgency for the Gospel. Um, that we should, as we read what Paul says, we should have an intense burden to give the necessity of Christ to others and know that there's an urgency for that. So let's go ahead and dive into the word of the Lord. Let's hear what it has to say to us this morning. Starting in chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, <coughs> Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 10.1, brothers, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we pro that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will we call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? 
Oh, indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Israel is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you. Man, there's so much to thank you for in just this passage alone. I thank you that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I thank you that, that we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that, that God has raised him from the dead and you will save us. Father, I thank you for this, this message of salvation to all. And I pray, Lord, that as, as we look at it, we, we take this apart, as, as we speak about this message, that you would put me aside and it be your words. And Father God, I pray that you would give us an intensity of a burden for those that we know that are lost, that you would give us an appreciation for the necessity of Christ in our lives and an urgency to take the gospel out to those who need to hear it. Father, speak to us. Let us glorify and honor you as we worship you through the hearing of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we are, um, starting out in chapter 9, verse 30. And Paul is teaching us about Israel's rejection of God's saving promises. Now that is so hard to think about that here Israel had the Messiah. They had the law. They had everything that, sh that should say, yes, we get it. Let us come to you, God. And they rejected it. They had the law that pointed to the coming Messiah. Yet when the Messiah appeared, he was rejected. But, but God, being who he is, will not be thwarted by anything. And he will especially not be thwarted by foolish stubbornness of a sinful man. His saving promises will be fulfilled. And as the Apostle Paul writes, here, there's, there's this intensity here and in his burden for the people to hear the gospel message. The Gentiles who never desired the things of God and, and never pursued the things of God and were not the chosen people of God now have a right standing before God because of their faith. Yet Israel... <clears throat> the chosen people of God who pursued a right standing with God through the law failed to gain right standing because they lacked faith, right? Why did, why? Why did Israel's efforts fail? They could not have right standing before God through the law. Why did that not work out? Israel missed the point of the law. They did not pursue the law through through humble trust and, and a holy, perfect God. They, they didn't trust in God that way. They tried to pursue the law as, as, a, as a means of establishing their own righteousness. See, we have no righteousness of our own. But Israel, thinking that they did, we've got the law, we can keep the law, I can do this, I can do that, I can, I can tithe 10% of my spices, and I can do this, and I can do that, and that'll make me righteous. No, it didn't. We have only the righteousness that comes from God through faith. 
See, using the law as a means of establishing their own righteousness caused them to stumble over the stone. It was Jesus. They stumbled over him. That stone was Jesus confronting them. They didn't see that they were fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 28, 16. <clears throat> God's people would stumble over the teachings of the Messiah to miss coming to faith in him. They missed it. Now, remember, the Jews had a zeal and a passion to enthusiastically serve God. They were a well-meaning Good religious people, right? The problem with those good religious people is that they're often wrong in their beliefs. They were working hard to establish their own righteousness through fulfilling the law that they could not fulfill. They were working to establish their own righteousness, and, and because of that, they saw no need for Christ. Right? They were working hard to be righteous before God by their own works and deeds. And those who attempt to establish their own righteousness see no need to believe in Christ. They have works to earn a spot in heaven rather than a faith that accepts the gift of eternal life that comes only through Christ. And this is why Paul is so burdened in verse 1. These are his people. These are his friends. These are his family. And they have strived so hard, so hard to do something. And all of their hard work, every bit of it has been in vain. With Christ, or without Christ, sorry, without Christ, they are on a literal dead end path. See, you and I know these people. These are people that have, that have been raised in the church and know all the lingo, right? But they don't know Jesus in a real and personal manner. These, these are maybe people that you and I know that have been hurt by the church, but reject the healing of Christ because of it, right? These are, these are folks that you and I know that, that may show up every Sunday to church, claim Christ, but can't explain to you how they are assured of eternal life. They've never really surrendered themselves to Jesus. And these, these folks like Paul's Israelites, these are the, the scariest kind of lost because they don't realize it. They've convinced themselves they have no real need for Christ because they're building their own righteousness that leads them to hell. Folks, they are your people. They are your friends. They are your family, and you should be just as burdened for their souls and their eternal well-being as Paul is for the Jews as he writes Romans. Pray for an intensity in your burden for the lost. Pray that you have a zeal and a passion to enthusiastically serve God through faith, not a set of, of empty and hollow rules that make you look good, but make God look weak. You are called to humble obedience that glorifies God. God does not need good Christian men or sweet religious ladies, right? He doesn't need that. He desires 
humble trust and faith that creates servant hearts and individuals who point others to him. Paul has this intense burden for the lost because he knows the necessity of faith in Christ. And in verse 5, Paul quotes Leviticus 18.5 about righteousness that is based on the Mosaic law. And, and to show that, he does this to show that those who keep the law will attain life. But we cannot attain life through the law because we cannot keep the law. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. But a righteousness based on faith is different. Righteousness based on faith sees the Old Testament law and promises fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent Christ to earth. God raised him from the dead. We can't travel to heaven and bring down a Savior. He's already come. We, we, we can't call to a tomb and resurrect a rescuer. God has already provided everything that we need for salvation. It's not about any superhuman work or deed that makes us righteous before God. It's faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that makes one righteous before God the Father. Your confession that Jesus is Lord is an outward evidence of your inward faith. Right? Just saying something doesn't make it true. I can call myself a Douglas fir all day long. Clearly, I'm not a Douglas fir. This is not the case, right? Sadly, heartbreakingly, just wretchedly, some, the same thing can be said for some who claim to be Christians. The same thing can be said to that. But just because they say it doesn't make it so. We all know folks like this. Many people around us have, have made a confession of Christ that is in word only and not a confession that shows a true inward faith. We cannot treat the gospel like it's a, a set of magic words that somebody says and God gives them a golden ticket into heaven. This leads people to a type of, of perjury that leads to a death sentence. Saving faith is, is not just this mere intellectual agreement, but a deep inward trust in Christ at the core of your being. Saving faith in Christ changes who you are and makes you a new creature. And salvation comes through faith and faith alone. But that, feet, or that faith must have feet that walk. There must be some fruit of your faith. There's got to be some evidence of that faith. What, is good, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James, the brother of Jesus, writes that in chapter 2, verses 14 and 17 of his letter to the church. Now, James doesn't mean that our works save us. But what he says, what he says to the church is this, that, that what it does mean is that our faith 
will bring a change in our lives that produces the works of the Holy Spirit. Those works are the evidence of a true and solid faith in Jesus Christ. Because the goal and purpose of your faith is for people to know that the glorious God of all creation has made you new. Your newness is then used to introduce people to the God who changed you and saved you so that he can do the same thing in their lives. This is why there is work associated with your faith in Christ. It's so that others may know him. If all your faith does is encourage people to clean up their act and become a good religious person, you need to be a good Christian man, you need to be one of those sweet religious ladies, your faith does not have the works of the Spirit. As with the Jew and the Pharisees of Jesus' time, right? We, we, we see these good religious people But the same thing happens to these people today that happened to them. They're good religious people who still go to hell. See, God doesn't want a church that is is filled with sanitized people in the pews. He wants a church filled with sanctified followers. And the only way that happens is when you fully surrender to Jesus He changes you. He regenerates you. He sanctifies you. True faith in Christ is necessary for your salvation. And this this is why there's an urgency in proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul closes this chapter expressing the urgency in, in sharing the gospel here. I love this in verse 14. How then will they call in call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now there's a quote that floats around and it's been attributed to a ton of people. right? And you've heard it said, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Oh my gosh. That is the worst advice I have ever heard about proclaiming the gospel. That is a steaming mound of not just bad advice, but bad theology and horrible doctrine. The Apostle Paul has just refuted everything about that quote in this one one little chunk, these two verses of Romans chapter 10. People must hear the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ. For someone to hear, words must be used. God has designed his gospel message to be carried by believers to those who need Christ. Well, maybe you're thinking to yourself, but Michael, verse 17 or verse 15 says, How are they to preach unless they are sent? I've not been sent or called to do that. Stop it. Stop it. Stop lying to your me. Stop lying to yourself about being called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just stop fibbing. Matthew 28, 19, 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you claim Christ, that's your call. 
right? You have been sent. Just as Jesus told you to go share the gospel. Furthermore, it's an obligation, right? Now, it's not an obligation like I have to do this to earn anything. No, but, but God has given you the gift of eternal life, and he's given it to you so that you may give it to somebody else. You are to give the message of how to receive eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ to other people. How would you not want to do that? See, Paul reminds us that the feet of those who preach the good news are beautiful. Now, they're beautiful because the story of the gospel is the most beautiful story you could ever tell. It does not get more beautiful than God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the most beautiful phrase in all of Scripture. It is the most beautiful story we could tell. Leah and I just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. We were late to the game and getting married. And I can picture in my head still clearly that day of how beautiful, gorgeous, stunning my wife was walking in that white dress with that veil. And honey, I love you more than you know, but you're not as beautiful as that message. That's the truth of it. The fact that while I was a sinner, actively in rebellion against a holy and just God, Christ died for me, it doesn't get any more beautiful than that. Right? This message, this story, a story about a rebellious people and the loving God who pursues them is the most beautiful story anyone could ever tell. See, here's the thing. You're willing to tell so many stories. And I love hearing them. I love hearing stories. I love hearing stories about your, your kids and your grandkids. I love hearing stories about the crazy antics you pulled as a kid and in high school. I love hearing stories about that wacky dude you work with and all the crazy things he says. Those are great stories, and they are entertaining, and they're fun, and they're touching, and they're worthy of being told. But they do not have the beauty of the gospel. Yet we share many of those stories over and over and over again yet hardly ever share the gospel. Why? Why do you share other stories, but not the most important story in your life? Michael, I know the gospel, but I just don't equipped, feel equipped to share it. Right? Maybe those are the thoughts that turn in your head. Well, I'm going to help you fix that. I'm going to help you fix it right now. If you're here in person and you use a smartphone, I want you to take your smartphone out. Mine's sitting over there next to Leah. So I can't take it out to show you. If you're at home watching on your phone, do this after the sermon. Right? Don't, don't do it in the middle. You'll get cut off. Right? But go to your app store. Download the Life on Mission app. It's from the North American Mission Board. This app is a resource to help you share the gospel with others. Right? There, there are three tabs across the bottom once you download and, and open up the app. And the middle tab says three circles. When you open it up, you click it. This is a gospel presentation designed for you to walk through with someone. It just opens up and you get these three little circles. Then you click on it. The first circle is God's design. Right? In God's design, we see a beauty, a purpose, and that God, the God of creation is all around us. That, that from Scripture, we know that God designed the world to work perfectly. And God made each of us with the purpose of worshiping Him and having an intimate fellowship with Him. 
But the problem is sin entered into the world. And sin is when you and I ignore and then just rebel against God. We selfishly insist on doing things our way rather than God's way. And this distorts God's design. The consequence of sin is separation from God. This separation happens now in this life and it continues for all eternity. And that brings us to the second circle, which is brokenness. Sin leads us to a place of brokenness. Brokenness leads us to a place where we realize we need something greater. We need a remedy. And that remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we show that in the third circle. Romans 5.8 tells us God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus did for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. He took on our sin. He took on our shame on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin by his death. Jesus was then three days later raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to relationship with God. But simply hearing the good news isn't enough. If you've lived in Morgan County, Indiana, you've heard that good news your whole life. Matter of fact, they took you out of third and fourth grade an hour a week to tell you. We have to admit, though, we have a sinful nature. We have to admit that we do not have the power to escape our brokenness without being rescued. Jesus is the rescuer. We must ask him to forgive us and for him to turn us from our sin. We trust in Jesus, surrender our lives to him and his will. This is repentance and belief. When we believe, Jesus brings us a new life and gives us a new direction. This process is the process of regeneration and sanctification. That means God restores our relationship with him. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue the things of God. We are given assurance of his presence in our life now and for all eternity. If you use this app and you put it on your phone, and I highly recommend you do it, you'll never be without a resource to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need to hear it. And if you play around with the app, you're going to find under the resources tab a video tutorial on actually how to use the app. And to be honest with you, it's probably a little bit better than the lesson I just gave. But here's the thing, church. We need to be sharing the gospel. And here's a tool that's easy and simple to use. It took about two minutes of this sermon to share that. But, but Michael, what if they don't listen? Or what if they reject me? See, Paul addresses this in verses 17 through 21. The people of Israel who had every reason and every advantage to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see him as the Messiah of God still rejected him. Rejection is a part of everyday life, right? It's just how it is. We are, you are told no all the time. And, and really, you aren't afraid of being told no or no thank you. And think about it. I love the, the these are horrible for me, but I love the, the little, um, oh, I don't even remember, Tasty Cake brand fruit pies. They remind me of the old hostess pies that I used to eat when I was a kid in the 80s. They're horrible for me, but I love them. 
And I get rejected when I go to Kroger and they don't have them. I feel rejected. Oh, we don't have any today. Right? I'm okay with that, though. I, I can live with that. I can move on. But there are so many things that we, we claim that we don't mind being rejected for. I, I believe that the fear of being told no when it comes to sharing the gospel isn't about rejection as much as it is about being fearful of what people may say about you. I'd be more afraid about what Jesus has to say about me before God the Father. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that in Matthew 10, 33. The truth of the matter is, is that when people reject the gospel, they're rejecting the truth of God. God himself is being rejected. We just happen to be there to bear witness to it. The other truth is, we see here is, is we may be shocked and surprised who does hear and accept the gospel. The Jews of Jesus and Paul's time sh should have heard the gospel and accepted it with gladness and joy, yet they rejected it. The Gentiles, on the other hand, those who did not seek God and, and who did not ask for God, were found by God and he revealed himself to them. And they gladly and joyfully turn to him. See, with great joy, God will surprise you with whom he calls to himself through you sharing the gospel. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, but Michael, I'm not good at sharing the gospel. Well, then practice. Just practice. You didn't get good at anything that you are good at without repeated practice. It's a fact, right? Practice presenting the gospel. Find a friend or a loved one you trust who also needs to know Christ. Tell them you have this crazy preacher who's also a school teacher and the jerk gave you homework in the middle of summer and you need to have help with the assignment. Tell them that. Tell them that the assignment is to practice making a three-minute presentation. And you want their honest feedback on how well you make the presentation. And you want to practice it with them until, you until they think you're good at it. Now, that sounds corny, it sounds cheesy, but it might just work. You're getting the practice, and you're also getting to share with a friend who needs to know Christ, the gospel message. Know this, Calvary Heights, this congregation will not grow. We will not make the impact for the kingdom of God we want to make unless the members share the gospel. We will not be able to do the ministries that are on our hearts. We will not be able to do the programs we feel called to do until we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those we know need him. W.A. Criswell said this, to lift him up, preach his name and invite souls to love him and to follow him is the highest heavenliest privilege of human life. This is your call and your purpose. You know what you have, who you have an intense burden for. You know their necessity for Christ in their lives. And you know how urgent it is to share Christ with them. Now the task, do it. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were sent. 
Being sent, you are to proclaim. And as you proclaim, people hear. And as people hear, they believe. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us. We thank you for the word. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful message that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, we, we pray that as we go into this time where we quietly do some personal business with you, you would convict and you would move in our lives that, that those who've heard this and, and maybe know they need to to tell others about Jesus. You'd spur us on. You'd goad us to proclaim your message here in Martinsville, here in Morgan County, throughout the state, our nation, and our world. And God, maybe there are some that, that are hearing this message and have yet to really know who Jesus is. Sure, maybe they've been in church or they watch services all the time, but they've never really taking the time to to know Jesus. God, I pray that you would convict them as well and you would draw them in with your spirit. Father God, for us as a congregation, I pray that you would continue to move in our lives to draw us closer to you so that we may proclaim your glory and the salvation that you provide through Jesus Christ, your son.